This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, my name's David Peterson. It's my privilege to lead you in reflecting on the death of Jesus again this Good Friday. We do so this year in extraordinary circumstances. So many people around the world have died in recent weeks as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The TV news has brought an unbelievable picture of body bags lined up in hospital corridors overseas and temporary morgues in city parks. The daily count of victims in some countries rises exponentially. People everywhere are more conscious of death than ever before and many are frightened. So why should we focus on one particular death today? What is so significant about the death of Jesus of Nazareth almost 2,000 years ago? How can it bring us hope and comfort in our present distress? For a few moments now, let's consider together the brief report of Jesus' last hours in the Gospel of Mark and evaluate its meaning for ourselves. Mark first observes that darkness came over the whole land from noon until three in the afternoon. This was no natural phenomenon, no three-hour eclipse of the sun, but a cosmic sign of something terrible happening. It was strangely like the plague of darkness in Exodus 10, signifying that the curse of God was upon the Egyptians. At a later time in Israel's history, the prophet Amos associated the coming of God's judgment on his own rebellious people with such a phenomenon. Speaking through Amos, God says, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. In the gospel narratives, however, it appears that the judgment of God was falling on Jesus, not on his enemies and not on his people. Because Deuteronomy 21.23 says, Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Since crucifixion was like hanging on a tree, the Apostle Paul concluded that Christ became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 History records that crucifixions were marked by screams of rage and pain, wild curses and the shouts of indescribable despair by the unfortunate victim. But Jesus was amazingly calm and compassionate in relation to his captors and those who were crucified with him. Nevertheless, after three hours of darkness, he cried out in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was not a bitter, faithless cry, for he continues to call his father, my God. But it does reflect his humanity, the persistent physical agony, the longing for death, and the sense of abandonment by his heavenly father and those around him, especially his disciples. If his mind was on the rest of the psalm, Jesus would have known that it develops into a confident prayer. The psalmist continued, O Lord, do not be far away from me. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my sword, my soul from the sword and my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Perhaps Jesus echoed that prayer in his heart, if not on his lips. He would also have known that the psalmist finally speaks of his deliverance by God. And I quote, 
He did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. In line with such Old Testament texts, Jesus had spoken confidently to his disciples on several occasions about being resurrected from the dead on the third day. He did not die with bitterness in his heart, renouncing his father, but with hope. He still had to endure the suffering of the cross and the alienation of death, but not for his own sake, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before, Jesus had offered to drink the cup of God's wrath and to suffer the penalty for human sin in our place. Earlier, he had spoken about giving his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10.45. There was a price to be paid for the liberation of sinners from the eternal consequences of their sin. Now, on the cross, he who had lived wholly for his Father experienced the full alienation from God which the judgment he had assumed entailed. A cry of dereliction expressed the unfathomable pain of real abandonment by the Father. In effect, Jesus went to hell for us, not merely in physical death, but also in a spiritual sense, by being left to die by his heavenly Father. Echoing the words of Isaiah 53, the Apostle Peter would later declare that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The bystanders who heard Jesus cry in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah to rescue him. Some Jewish sources reflect this strange expectation that Elijah might come back from the dead in times of critical need to protect the innocent and rescue the righteous. Someone familiar with this belief ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to Jesus to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Wine mixed with myrrh had been given to Jesus earlier to dull his senses. But this offer of wine was designed to keep him awake, to keep him conscious until Elijah might come to rescue him. Soon, however, Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. John records that he said, It is finished. I have accomplished the task given to me by my father. And Luke tells us that his final words of confidence and trust were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' death was unusual because victims usually suffered long periods of complete exhaustion and unconsciousness before dying. Yet after a relatively short time on the cross, Jesus was still alert and able to cry out with great conviction before he breathed his last. The manner of death was noted by the Roman centurion, who would have seen many others die in similar trying circumstances. Mark records that when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was God's son. Now in terms of popular Roman religion, this may have been no more than a confession that Jesus was a divine man, uh, someone extraordinary who accepted humiliation and death as an act of obedience to a higher mandate. He was a calm, resigned death, reflecting trust rather than anger and bitterness. 
Of course, the centurion may have heard the talk in Jerusalem about whether Jesus was the unique son of God and concluded from what he saw that this must be true. Whatever the centurion meant, Mark wanted his readers to appreciate the surprising irony of what was said. In this climactic moment, a pagan Gentile soldier came closer to confessing the truth about Jesus than many Jews who'd heard his teaching, seen his mighty works, and even waited at the cross to see if Elijah would come to rescue him. It was the manner of Jesus' death that elicited this confession from the centurion. So here's the ultimate paradox for us to ponder. The crucified Jesus is the only son of the true and living God and the only true saviour of people from every nation. In God's plan for us, this is what makes his death different from every other death. And this should be our confession too, informed by everything that Mark and the other evangelists tell us about Jesus and his saving work. Mark presents the centurion as a model for us to follow. The crucifixion of Jesus challenges us in another way with a very personal question. How will I die? Of course, we can simply be curious about the manner and timing of our death. Will it be painful or easy? Will it be prolonged or instantaneous? But the more important question is, with what confidence and what hope will I die? Some dismiss this question as irrelevant. There's nothing beyond death, so go bravely into extinction. But most human beings are dissatisfied with that answer. Many religions offer hope of life after death of some kind, though they teach that your status in the afterlife is dependent on your good works in this life, especially religious good works. But the crucifixion of Jesus puts paid to all that. As the Apostle Paul said, if righteousness could be attained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Speaking positively, Paul also said, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Rebellious human beings can be reconciled to God and treated as righteous in his sight when they come to him through his son, trusting in his sacrifice for us. So Jesus' death was the death of death. That is, death as the terrible gateway to final and complete alienation from God. The really critical question for us to answer is this. Am I truly in Christ? Am I one of his? Am I trusting in his saving work alone? Will you die with confidence in God as Jesus himself did? The Christian's hope lies not only in the resurrection, but also in the atoning death of Jesus that preceded it. Johann Sebastian Bach expressed this beautifully in the choral response to Jesus' death in the Matthew Passion. Be near me when I'm dying, do not depart from me, and to my succour flying come Lord and set me free. And when my heart must languish in death's last awful throw, release me from my anguish by your own pain and woe. Let's pray about that. 
out of the darkness of that terrible moment, Holy Son of God, we hear your lonely cry and we bow in penitence, acknowledging our guilt. You bore our sins in your body on the cross so that we might be free from sin's penalty and delivered from its destructive power. You were made a curse for us and opened the kingdom of heaven to all who put their trust in you. You became the high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus, Lamb of God, Saviour of the world, have mercy upon us. And remind us always that you are forsaken, that we might never be forsaken, but walk in the light of your Father's presence, now and forevermore. Into your hands this day we commit ourselves, souls and bodies, in life and in death, in joy or suffering, for time and eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.